0: podcast with Dan and Paul. This is episode three, and today we'll be discussing the topic of communion. Good evening, or day, whatever you're listening to us, but thank you for joining us for the third episode of the Beer and Bible podcast. I am Paul here with Dan, and this is our third attempt at recording this one, so we're going to get it right this time.
1: Yeah, tech is hard.
0: It is. We use free like software, which unless you want to send us money,
1: yeah.
0: but then we probably wouldn't use it. Towards that, would use it for beer. But um, today's episode, we are going to be discussing um, communion, or some people call it Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, um, and the history of it, and what it kind of means for the church. And um, we were discussing earlier before we started recording that we don't know many churches or of any church that doesn't participate in mm-hmm. some form of communion.
1: But I bet a lot of people, other than Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me, a
0: lot of them don't
1: know why.
0: Or what it stands for or yeah. the Jewish roots of communion and what, what was Jesus doing in the upper room? Yeah. I mean – they were all around a table. They were all on the same side because Da Vinci was there when he, he <laughs> <laughs> painted that picture. Um, but we're going to start this podcast off with a familiar reading that many pastors have used for communion services. So this is one that I've used, so I'm going to start reading it. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, verses 23 through 26. This is um, the Apostle Paul most likely writing this. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you I think that is a very familiar one with anybody who's experienced communion, throughout whatever denomination they come from. They've heard that recited or memorized. I'm assuming most people have pastors have that memorized since they're reading it out. Yeah, I've screwed it up a couple of times.
1: Yeah, they're at least able to accurately ad lib mm. the passage. But <clears throat> why are they in this upper room in the first place? What day was it, or what
0: time was it? A Friday, was it? Um, no, it would have been the Thursday. Yeah, this yep. is, um, so they're, they're partaking in what is called Passover. Yeah. Passover. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room and they are experiencing and remembering the Passover, which takes us all the way back to the Exodus.
1: Yeah. So it's origins go back to being in Egypt. That final night, you know, there's already been all these plagues whipped out to, uh, put Egypt into submission, and then the last plague comes and uh, God tells them to have a special dinner with their families. And during this supper, they're supposed to take the blood of a lamb, smear it on the doorposts of where they're having this dinner, and
0: then prepare
1: to leave the following morning.
0: So they put the blood over the doorposts because the tenth plague is the angel of death. Yeah. That comes over.
1: The destroyer that comes in.
0: The destroyer. And anybody who has the blood over their doorposts, what happens? What doesn't happen? They're
1: safe. They're safe. And it's not just the Jews that do that. Anybody who participates in this would have been
0: safe. So this is kind of like the last dinner before a big long long road trip that they're about to take. And the destroyer is going to come through and wipe out the firstborn in any house. That mm-hmm. does not have blood over, or the lamb's blood over its doors. Correct. So why do they celebrate this in they, Passover style?
1: They celebrate this because <clears throat> being slaves is not fun. And this represents their liberation.
0: So so for the history buffs, or those who want to know the history behind it, the Israel, or the Jews, have been enslaved in Egypt for about 430 years up to this point. So about four generations of 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 the the people of God had been enslaved um, by Egypt, mm-hmm. and God hears their cries.
1: Yep.
0: Um, kind of harking back to one of the interesting things we talked about Cain and Abel before, where it said um, that God heard the blood of Cain crying out from the ground or
1: Abel. Abel. Yeah. So it's Abel's the blood of Abel's, blood. Abel's yep. blood,
0: and God hears it crying out. God hears the oppression that they're in in Egypt, even though they're there of their own. Causation, if you want to look at history. Joseph stayed there and brought his family and they ended up being complacent there. And um the Pharaoh who who wasn't such a fan or didn't know much about Joseph says, These this people group is becoming too powerful and too many of them. We need to enslave them. And they end up in slavery building bricks.
1: Yeah, probably not the pyramids. Those are supposed to come before
0: I think aliens. Was it aliens that did the pyramids? Aliens
1: did the pyramids. Aliens,
0: I mean, yeah. Well,
1: clearly. Clearly, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> they're all power plants.
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh, gosh.
1: Put your um, tinfoil hats on now. Um, so, like you said, they they ended up there of their own accord, but then there comes a pharaoh that's like, uh, these people, they're not us. Kind of like an Egyptian nationalist movement. Yeah, And so then they suppress the Jews They uh, when Moses is born, Moses has to be protected from a genocide that they're carrying out against Jewish males um, because they're wiping out an entire generation of Hebrew males to make sure that they don't have enough men to ever
0: revolt. Because they're, they're saying to all the midwives if a, if a um, Jewish woman has a baby, if it is a boy, throw it in the river, kill yep. it. Yep. And if it is a girl, let it live. Yep. And and like you said, as a form of of um, keeping the people down by saying, if they don't have enough men to revolt, we can keep them in subjection to us.
1: Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, it all comes to a head, and um, Moses is preparing to lead them out of Egypt into the wilderness um, where they can worship God as he's called them to do. And so we have all these plagues. And then, like we said before, the final plague The angel of death um, or the destroyer was going to come through, take the firstborn of every household that did not have the blood. They went into their homes that night and they ate the meat of the lamb roasted um, over fire. So they ate it. They burned off a lot of the fats of it because when you roast over a fire, there's nothing to catch those fats. So it's like a very lean dinner because it's like a traveling dinner. Mm -hmm. They have to be ready to get up and move. And so they're supposed to eat the meal with their staff in hand and everything packed, ready to go.
0: And that's where the unleavened bread comes in. Yep. Because they didn't. We weren't waiting for the bread to rise. They were just yep. baking the bread so they could take it with them the next day.
1: Yep, exactly. Uh, there's also bitter herbs
0: to remind them of their time in Egypt and the bitterness of slavery. So the whole like Passover dinner and a lot of people, the people who observe it now, they call it the Seder dinner. Mm-hmm. is the reminder of where they were and where God had brought them to. So Jesus is sitting up in the in the upper room with his disciples and they are remembering the goodness and faithfulness of God to them yeah. as a people. Yep. And then he kind of well we'll talk about how he he kind of uses the imagery to relay something to them that he's about to do. Right. So there's the four cups. Yeah. <clears throat> and
1: you actually dug all this information up so, I think you should share.
0: So, at, during the Passover dinner, they had um, four cups of wine, which sounds like a party. But the four cups of wine came at very specific times during the meal. And it's taken out of um, Exodus 6, 6 through 7, where um, we have um, Jesus, God t- telling them the four I wills. So, Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 7, God tells them as he's bringing them out, he says, I will bring you out of. T- from the burden of the Egyptians. So that was the first cup of wine. The second cup of wine, I will deliver you from bondage. The third cup of wine, I will redeem you with my, with an outstretched arm. And the final cup of wine, the fourth cup of wine is I will take you to me for my people. So there's the four I wills that God gives, that Yahweh gives them in their slavery to give them the hope that he's going to be the one that brings them out of the slavery of of Egypt. He's going to deliver them from bondage. He will redeem them and bring them in to him with his outstretched arm and he will make them his people kind Mm -hmm. of a covenant that he's making with them. So each time during the Passover dinner, when they remembered that they are reminding themselves of the promises that God made to them as a people. Um, And it's very powerful. And, Um, Dan recently did communion um, here at the church, at the Congregational Church, and he talked a little bit about the fourth cup.
1: Yeah. So a lot of scholars believe that it was during the fourth cup because it says that it's after dinner he took the cup. Um, So there's this idea that during this fourth cup of um, God taking the people unto himself to become a people – that that is the cup in which Jesus is presenting this is my body. So it's through Christ's body somehow that we become the family of God. yeah and uh, that we become the people that God is drawing unto himself
0: and that's the rem- that, that, that's the reminder that on that fourth cup that he's bringing them unto him to unto himself He's bringing them to him mm-hmm. um, not this idea that they're leaving Egypt to find God but that God is bringing them out with him. They're not finding God in the desert. God is leading them and bringing them to himself.
1: Yep. Yeah, and what is powerful for Jesus' time is, you know, they wanted to be free of Egypt uh, at the original Passover, and now they're sitting, dining with Jesus, and they want to be free of Rome. Yeah. You know, they're being taxed. They're being oppressed. Any Jewish male... um, in his definitely any older Jewish male in their fifties or sixties, but many of the younger ones have seen crucified, um, Jewish zealots and freedom fighters, people that they had put their hope in, hoping that they would be a political leader <clears throat> that would free the people from Rome. And then they see them hung on
0: a cross. So for them, the Passover dinner was twofold because it reminded them of the faithfulness of God, but mm-hmm. it also was given them hope that God will continue to be faithful to them.
1: Yep.
0: Um, and th- th- the interesting thing is that they're, 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 they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire at this time. So mm-hmm. Passover was a very political, mo- political thing for them to do as well. Yeah. Because they're saying, we are hoping that somebody, that God is going to give us like another Moses to bring us out of mm-hmm. this oppression that we're currently in.
1: Yeah. You got to think of how long it had been since they had been a free people. Yeah. You've got from going all the way back to the Babylonian captivity to Assyria, to Persia, to Greece, to Rome. It's like just nonstop empires conquering their lands, setting up puppet dictators, heavily taxing them, dragging away their people to slavery. It's constant for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so every Passover that passes in which God doesn't deliver them it's a letdown. You know, there is an anticipation or a hope there as they're dining that God would maybe that next morning after they finished their supper they'd wake up and they'd be leaving um to go out into the wilderness again to serve
0: God. God. But but and they thought I'm assuming because of when we see when they pick between Jesus and Barabbas but before the crucifixion that they're looking at this as a military leader coming in to hopefully violently overthrow the Roman government to lead them out or to kick actually the Roman government out of the promised land. Yep. And and, and take it back for themselves.
1: Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of uh vindication that was desired, a lot of vengeance. Usually in bloodshed. There's actually a fairly progressive um Seder dinner uh, booklet. You can read this prayer during the Passover, in which they're crying out for vengeance, and I think that expresses clearly what people were hoping for at the supper that
0: Jesus is now presenting himself as being.
1: Well, the lamb. because
0: Jesus has come and he said, "Prepare," talking about the kingdom of. God is near the kingdom of heaven is near and they're to maybe the, the cursory listener they're talking about all oh, the kingdom David's kingdom's coming back is going to be restored mm-hmm. and they're thinking on a political and physical plane that they're going to be freed from the oppression of Rome and be their own independent empire to themselves yeah. and Jesus doesn't give that to them
1: no no, actually if we look at the events of that night, it is let's finish the dinner, let's go out and pray, and Jesus gets arrested. So it's really the opposite narrative of yeah. what they were hoping for.
0: <laughs> so kind of like in summation to cat to, to like sum up where we've come so far, communion that communion or Lord's Supper, which a lot of churches or most churches um do ritualistically or traditionally and they have it whenever they're in their calendar where they ha- when they have it is born out of the Passover dinner exactly it's born out of a Jewish tradition that Jews that 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 um, that the Jewish co- culture still continues to do today they're still mm-hmm. yearly talking about the Seder dinner and the Passover dinner and they remember and they have the four cups of wine and they have mm-hmm. their prayer books and now from the Christian standpoint is the Christian Jesus does something different during the end of their Passover dinner. And he kind of says, he uses these weird words about, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. Um, and it's probably a very uh, confusing time for the disciples, I think, because this is not how the Passover dinner normally would end. No, but they would appoint the head of household
1: with lead the Passover supper so they would lead all the <clears throat> what we would call liturgy or all of the um prayers and the statements and the cues of how to participate in this dinner mm-hmm. and Jesus has taken that seat he's the one that's leading the meal and so when they get to this moment you know most of these guys are teenagers to young adults and they get to this point in which Jesus deviates from the script they're going to know yeah. like you said it's going to be a weird moment
0: there's the, going to be some unrest did jesus have too much of that third cup and is going yeah, off exactly. script here
1: you know getting back to just how how much political unrest there was um in 50 uh common era which is just you know a couple handfuls of years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is a Passover festival in which they're all gathered in uh, the temple. And a Roman soldier, um, being a young hooligan Roman <laughs> soldier, decides to pull up his skirt, is it? Kilt? His, Kilt is kind of Irish, Scottish. I don't know.
0: His, uh, his loins? His, he, his, he exposed ex- himself. He exposes him. He shows his, everybody. His genitals. He, and you guys
1: can take that. It's okay. So, and don't Google that. There's a <laughs> <laughs> there is an ongoing theme of people Googling the things we tell them not to Google. Google. So, so, do
0: not Google man flashing. I should have just kept my mouth shut. Man, fl- okay, yeah, yeah, no, no Googling no. man
1: flashing. Yeah. So, <laughs> the Roman soldier exposes himself to the crowds, and of course, people get upset. This is a very sacred religious holiday. Plus, it would be as if the Egyptians were exposing themselves thousands of years before. It's like, the whole reason we're celebrating this festival is to get you guys off our backs, and now you're disgracing our time of plotting your demise. Yeah, And so the people start arguing. Um, There's obviously unrest. And so there's a fortress attached to the temple, and the... Governor of the time begins to line up troops and to put down this seemingly developing rebellion. And as they wa- walk through twenty thousand people, um, Jewish people mm-hmm. who had come just to participate in the festivals, mm-hmm. they are trampled underfoot and died. And so it turned what was supposed to be a joyous uh, liberation of the Romans sort of meal into complete and utter chaos. So that that comes from Josephus in Antiquities and what I want to really make very abundantly clear is just how much unrest there is in Palestine at this time.
0: Because during the Passover festival people came from all over to come to the temple. Right. So you had a mass influx of Jewish men and women and children who were coming in to be near the temple to participate in their Passover, kind of like Independence Day kind of celebration. exactly. And then you have the new oppressor coming up and saying, hey, take a look at this, and flashing them all and starting a huge disturbance. Right.
1: Well, and also, this goes back to the Gospels, but another way that the Gentiles would just play with the Jews' emotions is every year on Passover they would do what? They would release a zealot zealot, yeah they'd release one of these jewish heroes that had killed romans on passover as if to like stoke the fire you know like what the hell is that (laughs) you know you have a people that is celebrating the hopeful demise of the romans and the romans would give them a zealot with blood on their hands and say
0: here you go here's your passover gift Yep. see if he can overthrow us. Yeah, we'll we we'll, we'll squish oh, you anyway. It's so twisted. It is, and I mean, and there's the, there's the whole thing with the Samaritans as well that we talked about the conflict between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And during the Passover, um, there's the one of the one of the years, the Samaritans saw a whole bunch of dead bones around the temple. Yeah, and so nobody can enter. Nobody could enter because nobody can touch His disciples. And then he throws a curveball in at the end. Yeah, and this is where the idea of the communion service is brought in mm-hmm. um paul the apostle paul writes about it and that's what we read at the beginning It's kind of like do this what in remembrance of me but what is kind of the the underlying idea then for communion because the underlying idea of passover was thanking god for deliverance and hoping that he'll continue to deliver
1: mm-hmm. them in
0: that in, in their moment of need so I've heard people say that communion is the reminder that God has delivered us from sin and death, and that we do this in remembrance of him, but we kind of lose that tie between the spiritual and the physical. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've made it, we seem to have made it all about we're free from sin and death, and then we go out and we participate in, for lack of a better way of putting it, Egypt or Rome, we we are still tied into them, um, into the idea of oppression. And I don't. I'm trying to think of the best way to put it without being insulting. Um, the church looks at a very spiritual level and not on a community level, and very. You we talked about this before. Very individualistic. Mm-hmm. God has saved me, so I am taking. Participating in this communion service to remind myself that God has saved me and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And who cares about the rest?
1: But don't take it if you're not right with God or else you'll
0: die. Yeah. I mean, Paul writes that. He's like, <laughs> some of you are dying when you partace, part, partake in this. Yeah. And that's kind of a like, where does he come up with this stuff? I, mean,
1: <clears throat> <clears throat> I ed- mean, the edge was still on. You know, that's the thing is throughout the writings of Paul, there's still this. There is a this world edge mm-hmm. to everything that's being said. Yeah, um, It's not till much later that we'll disconnect it and make the whole thing being about going to heaven.
0: Well, and the interest, I mean, the thing is we as churches, we observe communion and it's a 15 minute thing where we have a cracker and we have a glass of Welch's grape juice or maybe if you're more progressive wine and that's it. And mm-hmm. where the Passover is a communal dinner where people are coming together, remembering the faithfulness of God and hoping that he will continue to be faithful to them. Mm-hmm. We look at it for some reason as just this one-off, like, we got to have communion, remember, do this in remembrance of him, and we kind of lose that community aspect of what the Seder or the Passover dinner was all about.
1: Yeah. I think the deliverance factor is still there. I think that when as we take communion, we should be praying for deliverance, but what 's difficult for an American is to understand what deliverance in this life and in this world looks like
0: well, for one, we're not the oppressed well,
1: uh, in, in the general
0: some are sorry, yeah. that was the yeah, right. we, but we 're not being oppressed by another nation. We oppress right. others in our own nation yeah that that might look at, at communion differently, but we are we are the oppressors, mm-hmm. and we're taking part in a spiritual tradition in a in and saying that we don't want to that we are that we shouldn't be part of that oppressive regime but we still partake in it mm-hmm. and
1: you're giving away your Sunday sermon
0: oh yeah sorry um, let's look at what Jesus did
1: how he carried on this dinner because for when you celebrated the Passover um, there would be the head of the household would lead all the liturgy, mm-hmm. um, like we were saying before. And so this is Luke chapter 22, 14 through 23. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly, earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is one at the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who's going to do this. So even at the table, there's tension.
0: Yeah. And the tension is based on the fact that Jesus deviates from the normal script and then drops this bomb on them saying, one of you is about to betray me. Right.
1: And part of me wonders how much that moment was like the deal sealer for Judas. Because Judas, like most Jewish males, probably wanted Rome off his back. Yeah. And he's probably following Jesus because he believed he was the Messiah. But Jesus is not panning out to be the Messiah that he had hoped. So he's already been talking with the uh, temple guard and the high priests. And he's already kind of set up this betrayal. But now Jesus is like, you got to go do what you got to do. Surprise, I'm not not the
0: Messiah that you think I'm going to be. So Judas could be saying, well, screw it all. I'm going to betray you now anyway.
1: Well and Luke presents it this way, but there I like the gospel that says more or less Jesus dismisses Judas like go do what you gotta do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and and we were talking a couple of days ago about there's that prog the the progression between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about what about how much is revealed about who's betraying, how mm-hmm. the betrayal happens, and you have that evolution of Judas.
1: Yeah. He goes from being just a guy that's disgruntled to being Satan possessed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. So, this is a common thing that's been, that, that is read, another one that's been read during communion services. And, and we have this idea kind of taking the tail end of the Passover dinner and Christianity has kind of made it into another, into the communion service. Mm -hmm. Um, And even in talking about like the Seder and the Passover dinner, talking about the community that comes around and shares food, breaks bread together in remembrance of the things that God has done. Not that communion services are wrong, but we lose kind of that community feeling when it 's a passive thing when people are out in the pews partaking by something that somebody else is giving mm-hmm. um, and this is not a uh, a knock on how different churches might do communion because that 's how we do communion right. at our church we We hand it out, but it 's kind of giving we want to give the history of why there 's this communion service because the communion service. And the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, whichever name you're familiar with, is the reminder of what Jesus has done for humanity, yeah. And that He continues to do for humanity, and it's mm-hmm. not only on a, on this idea of saving us from our sins so we can go to heaven. Idea, it's a more holistic view. We need to take. I think the church needs to take a more holistic view of what God has done. Exactly, I think that.
1: What I really hoped when we decided to talk about this for our Beer and Bible podcast was I really wanted to illuminate the tension. The communion for us, I think, needs to be a time of tension because we're torn between these worlds. We're torn between walking out the doors of the church at the end of the day and going back to work on Monday morning and we're torn between this toil and where I think people long for deliverance, but they don't always know what from. Yeah. And I want people to experience communion from the perspective of this is the long awaited moment. And it doesn't look like a vindictive, violent justice coming down from heaven to smite our opponents. It more looks like what Jesus did, which is to walk out of the dinner, be arrested, um, be tried, even though he was innocent and found guilty, and then crucified and forgiving all the way.
0: Yeah. I mean, the famous words as he's he's on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a divine moment, a divine expression of who God truly is. That even under torture and under physical pain of death, He's asking mm-hmm. for forgiveness for others.
1: Yeah, I think communion for us, our prayer should be, "Father, deliver us as you have been delivering us, and bring your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven." I think mixing, yeah, mixing, <laughs> mixing <laughs> yeah. the prayers is not um, out of line here. I think we need to, we need to desire that deliverance still. Yeah. We're, 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 those urges that we have to see justice done in the world around us and to see the world put to rights, those need to shine most brilliantly during communion.
0: I know when we talk about deliverance, we're not only talking about this idea that we're delivered from hell or whatever idea of afterlife no. that you have. There's deliverance that happens in the here and now. Yeah. And the here and now deliverance is hard for us sometimes to grasp because we do live for lack of a better word, such privileged lives.
1: Yeah, especially you and I both being middle class. Yeah. Caucasian. Caucasian.
0: We, I mean, we can afford to drink beer and do a podcast. Yeah. And for fun. For fun. Yeah, I mean, not for money. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there are those out there that that even in, th- in the United States and around the world where this deliverance from oppression is something that is really tangible that they need. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we might take for granted. I mean, we do. Like you said, we are middle class, white, you're American, I'm going to become an American sometime this year probably. What? I know, don't talk about We'll talk about it another day. Um, <laughs> it's because of my son. No, Um, and <clears throat> we don't experience the same oppression that other people in this country or in countries around do that understand this idea of deliverance from oppression. Yeah. The Israelites experience deliverance from Egyptian oppression there are longing for deliverance from Roman oppression when we take communion we need to be longing for deliverance not only for ourselves but for others mm-hmm. and trying to look in them and look in the mirror and see how are we participating in the oppression of others
1: I think we can even sharpen the pencil a little more and say that we too should be praying for deliverance from the empires of this world. Yeah. And by empire, I don't mean just a kingdom somewhere. I don't mean like if you live in Russia, deliverance from your physical political empire, I am speaking to this eternal power that goes back to Cain who wanted to first build a city and control territory. I'm speaking to the power of, Dictators that have used violence and hate to fuel their movements. I'm speaking to this evil that ends up manifesting itself. That is empire. Yeah. And this manifestation of evil that is a power to be reckoned with in our world um, that destroys things all around us. We need to pray and long for deliverance from that.
0: So do you think that communion should also be a reminder that we are called to that? We are called to stand Mm -hmm. up against, like you expressed, the empire, the evils Mm -hmm. of this world, those that do oppress and those that do remove um, humanity from people. Mm -hmm. Um, We as the church in communion understand that God has delivered us from that, and we must now go and bring that deliverance to others.
1: Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing about this, to pull all this back to the Old Testament up through the New,
0: is... The
1: edge had been taken off of Passover for the Jews, too. Yeah, there was a lot of civil unrest. But some of the traditions, like that first Passover, they knew they were leaving the next day. They had their bags packed. They had their staff. They were ready to go. Um, The Passover of Jesus' time was more of a ceremony. Yeah. So the edge had already been taken off of it a little bit.
0: And when you mean edge, you mean not the importance but the actual reality of what's going to happen now.
1: Yeah, yeah. When I say edge, it's kind of me replacing, like, the political nature of it, the things that get us all wound up. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of that in the Bible. Most things are charged. You Mm -hmm. know, they are high-octane topics in the Bible. People getting very upset, people dying for these topics. um, And yet we often read them as purely religious or um, about the next world and not at all about this world. Yeah. And so when I say put the edge back on it, I mean there needs to be an aspect of it where we feel this eminent and real need
0: for deliverance
1: and justice.
0: So, to bring it kind of full circle, this idea of communion that we experience in our churches needs to become... Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties again. again. We're going to, uh, this is my body taking the bread, which is broken for you, kind of a foreshadowing of the cross. Mm-hmm. And then this is my blood, which is the new covenant. And talking about covenants, we see God making covenants with Egypt to bring them out, making the promise. Um, so for the church today, communion, is it, for like, I don't want to use the word political statement, but is it a, ideological statement saying that we understand that God has delivered us from the evils of this world and we should therefore choose not to be, not to live by the evils of this world. And by evils of this world, is not talking about a political, or a nation state, it's not talking about um, a certain country, but Cain and Abel. It's talking about the death, it's talking about destruction, it's talking about how we as Christians, should choose not to participate in those. And what are those? I mean, I mean, without jumping into, like, the guilt-tripping of the world, because um, I think we're all different places. Yeah. I think <clears throat> if we
1: were to sit down and try and put ourselves in the minds of the disciples and have that meal with Jesus... Then I think we need to be walking away from it ready to leave the empire for one thing. Like, and what does that mean for us in yeah. America? What does it mean to leave the place of power and to wander in the wilderness without a home? Yeah. Um, we need to be willing and ready to do those things. Um, there's a cool tie into your faith there that maybe you need to leave the things that you've long held established and wander in the wilderness with god long enough for him to recharge you and re-energize you but there's also this real world aspect of maybe you've benefited from the oppressive system um or you've benefited because of it which is maybe taking a step further and are you ready to walk away from the system and find yourself free in the wilderness with God being led by Him to your next destination point. That's kind of the oh my, am I ready to really take communion? Am yeah. I ready to
0: go to that next step? Which and, is why Paul talks about examining yourself. Yep. Before Are you ready to take that step? Is it? Exactly. And in, in Jesus' time, when Jesus says, when Caesar, when we have the idea of Caesar as Lord versus Jesus as mm-hmm. Lord, the idea of are we willing as a people? as a group as a community as a church to say Jesus is lord over anything else. Yep. And participating in communing is that declaration that Jesus is lord now, not in some future tense, but now that the the ideologies and the system of this world that contradict Christ we need to pick Christ over that and that, and that's what the the position that um, they were put in during Jesus' time where they said, I give you Barabbas or Jesus. Who do you pick? Mm-hmm. And they picked the violent zealots over Jesus because they thought yeah. that was the route to their freedom.
1: Yep. I think that even, you know, to, to just make this very easy on our listeners, <laughs> if you just go to the next church service you come across and you happen to be there on a communion or Eucharist Sunday, and the elements are given to you, I would just ask you to pause and reflect and think about God's faithfulness, to think about um, deliverance, to long for deliverance. And if you are not being oppressed, um, make yourself aware of someone who is so that you can pray for them in that moment. Yeah. And pray for deliverance. Pray for it not as the world cries for deliverance, but as Jesus displayed deliverance through the cross. And remember that it is through the cross that we receive our deliverance. And in doing so, I think you will be honoring the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion.
0: Yeah. And the the unique thing I feel about communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whichever noun we want to use, is it's the grand unifier of churches. Mm -hmm. because whether you're Catholic or Baptist or congregational or Methodist, there's always a time in their liturgy or their service or their church calendar where they observe that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I try to draw attention to in our time of the Lord's Supper is this is the grand unifier, that no matter where you go to a church, they have this in common. Mm -hmm. Liturgy might be different. Music might be different. Theology might be different. But Christ's death, burial, and resurrection The communion services, that unifier.
1: Yeah, which is nice because we don't really have anything else.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we have all these other things that divide us. And then it's refreshing to have something that Mm -hmm. is something that is the unifier of the denomination. Mm -hmm. The unification of the body. Yes. Because we're very good at dividing. Mm -hmm. And that's giving into the system of the world and all that.
1: Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about next?
0: Next, we're talking about baptism. So we're going from walking out of captivity in Egypt to um, walking through the Red Sea kind of idea. Yeah, that's a spoiler alert, but that's
1: what baptism is based on. Yeah. So I am drinking, I being Dan, if you're not used to our voices yet, I'm drinking Samuel Smith's organic chocolate stout.
0: So does the organic idea go with the whole micro farmer?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Yep, <clears throat> I'm on Steam it, and I put that in as my introduction, just for hoots and giggles.
0: Who you went with hoots and giggles instead of? Uh, yep, I'm trying to keep our clean language rating. <laughs> we I have did, a clean language rating on uh, iTunes, so I we don't want say to say something today, else. So but in the context. It might work.
1: Yeah, we're a religious podcast. It yeah. works. It's probably not going to get flagged.
0: Again, I'm drinking a blueberry lager. Again, it just seems to be a theme. So I'm, I drank Mosaic last week, which was a or last podcast, which was a blueberry lager. No, this is
1: Mosaic, wasn't? No, which one was? Uh, your first podcast, the short, uh, short soft parade,
0: soft parade, had blueberries. This is a um, wild blue. Um, premium blueberry lager, which is actually quite good. I actually had two of them today, so don't tell my wife. Um, I am a fan of fruity beers. Can I say that? That's fair. It's fair? Okay. I I do like them.
1: I feel like I should um, say about this chocolate stout that it is very chocolatey.
0: And I think it's a 48-ouncer.
1: Yeah, it comes in a large bottle. (laughs) But I was a little worried because when you first taste it, you taste like a hint of that bourbon barrel. Um, and it's really good, it's a good porter or not porter, sorry, stout. But the alcohol content's only five percent. So, yes, it's a larger bottle, but this was easy to drink and very chocolatey, very well
0: done. Where the fruity one was eight percent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um y- We will be recording again in a couple weeks, and we'll put it up. We'll be talking about baptism. Um, Thank you for listening, and we will catch you in the next one. See you, guys.
1: See ya.